1: The Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. Gators Breakdown, episode 160, is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter, at GatorDave underscore SCC. And joining me for this episode of Gators Breakdown is co-host Will Miles, and you can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSCC and his work at ReadAndReaction.com. Will, uh, we were just joking around right before we came on air. I can't even count anymore. I'm like a couple episodes behind with those opponent previews.
0: Hey, man, that's what <laughs> happens when we do it out of order. But uh, <laughs> uh, all I know is I can count to 25. That's how many days we got left to the football season. We are marking it down on the calendar. and X every day, and the weekends hopefully are going fast so that we can get to the one that actually counts in September.
1: Fall camp is underway, Will
0: Miles hey man actual football to talk about we don't have to talk about well maybe we'll still but we don't have to <laughs> talk about recruiting exclusively um you know there's actual stuff going on actual stories and uh, it's good good to have some news
1: yeah you know on the field and of course quarterback talk uh front and center and, hey until florida finds one that's what's going to be uh hey look we'll also we'll definitely dive into that uh, special teams uh has been brought up a lot too early up and in, early in, in fall camp but uh well, you know, just so so far, so so good. You know, on the on the injury front, uh, a little bit as well. Not too many major injuries. You know, I know Brett Heggie uh, looked like today that uh, he had a boot on. I um, have heard some things about Jacob Copeland have, having a very, and I want to stress this, very minor knee uh, issue. So if if he's going to be out, you know, if this is uh, true, still trying to confirm, but I had a couple people confirm. Um, you know, going through and asking it's just a minor knee thing going on right now. I may miss a couple weeks, but uh, so far so good uh, as the Gators at the practice field.
0: Yeah, nothing major. I mean, you know, nothing like last year, certainly with uh, <laughs> with the suspensions and all the suspense around that, and trying to figure out what was happening. And and certainly camp isn't really ramping up to a game like Michigan, like it was last year. It's ramping up to a game that that for all intents and purposes should amount to being sort of a preseason game. And uh, you know, so I think that the the urgency, hopefully, in camp is is there because the new coach, but doesn't have to be quite as spot on just because of who the opponent is.
1: Yeah, so thanks for uh, Craig Hires and uh, Shane Pittman for uh, sharing their stuff uh, with Copeland uh, out there on that. So we talked about a little bit on social media out there on Twitter, but uh, hopefully all good, and uh, he'll be back on the field uh, really, really soon for the Gators. So before we dive in, remember you can find all your Gators Breakdown episodes on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown there you find all the Gator's Breakdown episodes as well as articles from the News for Jack sports team. That's newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. Hey, look, you also find all these opponent previews. Uh we've been doing, you know, the last one, Mississippi State. Uh, that was a good one where we previewed Dan Mullen's former team and coming up uh, this week you can get uh, Will Miles Love Fest for LSU. So <laughs> yeah, maybe you can go ahead, Will.
0: I'm looking forward to Miami. I'll (laughs) tell you that much. I don't like the hurricanes and uh, I definitely have a vested interest.
1: (laughs) Also, you can uh, remember you can find the podcast on iTunes, Google play and YouTube. If you want the video version there, Hey, we're using those services. Please share, rate, review the show. Let Gator nation know what they're getting with Gators breakdown. Uh, A couple of reviews left on the last couple of days on Apple iTunes. So thanks for those uh, great reviews there. Uh, We really, really do appreciate it. And on social media, follow Gators breakdown on Twitter. And Facebook at Gators breakdown. So Will, of course, did mention quarterbacks front and center uh, for, for Dan Mullen as he addresses the media, and he says he you know he's seeing some flashes, uh, but not the consistency uh, r- right now. There you know, one things. Uh, one of the things that they have to learn is how much time uh, that they have to put in in terms of extra work to get really good. And look, we heard that all offseason season and and, and and the spring tour. You know, after the spring game. Mullen was like, How much work are these guys going to put in to the start of fall camp? So, you know, he he goes on to say, Once you get one thing, you have to work on all the nuances uh, to build off of that. And he goes, We'll do one thing really well. And the next play, well, quote, well, that looks really bad. So, you know, he went on to say that the quarterbacks need to manage the consistency, not just their position, but the whole offense. And, you know, there's not enough urgency getting the ball snapped, they're not controlling how quickly they, they push the defense not using their cadence to uncover what the defense is doing. So I think this is one of the toughest aspects. I put this out on Twitter yesterday that Mullen's going to have to coach out of the quarterbacks and especially Franks and Trask, you know. The offense under the previous staff was so slow, maybe even so complicated that the offense had no rhythm. And now for Emory Jones, I think it's for him it's just more adjusting to the college game, but for the quarterbacks that, you know, we think are are in the lead from starting this is the point where Mullen has his work cut out for him and getting these guys transition and kind of unlearning what they already know as far as being a college
0: quarterback. Sure. Well, I mean, we talked about it last year after some of the games were just, it was always on one. There was no cadence, <laughs> <laughs> especially on the road. You know, it was, there, there was no, there was no attempt to draw the defense off sides. There was no attempt to try to confuse the defense, to get the defense to give away what it was, get, what it was going to be doing, um, you know, pre-snap. And so, and so in that case, you sort of put the quarterback at a disadvantage. And so if Mullen's teaching those little intricacies, that, that's great to hear and great to see. And I think that's a positive thing and sort of indicates um, maybe the level of coaching that these guys are getting this year. But, but yeah, there's going to be um, you know, a, a learning curve. We all knew that. I think the question becomes, he's been talking about the learning curve now for an extended period of time. At some point, the learning has to stop and or at least the the massive learning has to stop because we saw a lot of hey there's a good play hey there's a bad play last year and you know you can't do that you only got three downs and 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 then you gotta punt the ball away and so if you throw one away and you know if you throw a play away because you haven't done the right thing um that that makes the offense stagnant and so we'll see what he can do with the quarterbacks he's got right now and and certainly i think we're all excited to see what he can do um You know, with with anybody that he starts, but uh, I don't know necessarily that Jones is at a disadvantage. I think they're just all sort of starting from square one.
1: Yeah, I kind of kind of think that way too. You know, just his only disadvantage is just not having the experience. But you know, he's not having to unlearn what what he could have potentially learned under Jim McElwain for the last couple of seasons. And you know, and it was you know that offense was so slow potting and just it just never seemed in, in in sync. And I really do think, and you know. Even heard you know, to, to some points that even the offensive line is having trouble uh, getting adjusted to the speed of a Dan Mullen offense.
0: Yeah, that's sort of a sad commentary on the offense from last year, the last three years, I suppose. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of this is just sort of coach speak. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't think you're going to give a lot away at this point. Certainly not going to give a lot away in maybe the opening game or the opening couple of games. And you know, we're really going to have to wait until we get three or four games in the season to know what Florida has at quarterback. You know, I'm reminded of a couple of years ago when it was Greer and Treon Harris who were fighting for the starting position. And Harris actually started the first game. But it was pretty clear that Greer was the better player and still it took quite a while for them to for them to make that switch. And, you know, the same thing happened a couple of years ago at Mississippi State where Mullen had Fitzgerald and some other guys fighting for the starting quarterback spot. And Fitzgerald did not start the first game of the year against South Alabama, which probably in hindsight was a bad decision because <laughs> Mississippi State didn't beat <laughs> South Alabama. Um, so hopefully that's not what happens this year. But uh Yeah, I I don't know that we can read too much into what Mullen's saying. Like you said, it's the same stuff he's been saying during his publicity tour the whole time. He's not going to give up, oh, yeah, you know, I've got one quarterback and the other two are trash. He's not going to say that. It's not true either, but he's not going to say it. Um, You know, He's not going to say, oh, this guy pulled ahead and give everybody a month to prepare. It's just not the way he's going to operate.
1: Yeah, you know, and we even heard from Mullen throughout the spring and stuff like Look, He was throwing so much at him in the spring and then kind of dialed back during the fall, and you know, find out what they do well, and then and, and work on that. So, but will I think my, you know, my my big bugaboo, and and you know it, and I've said it for a couple seasons now, is hopefully name one pretty soon, so they're not splitting the reps all the way up into that first game.
0: <laughs> I mean, I guess because we've we've also been saying that they need to have a package for Emory Jones, and they need to have a Wildcat package for Darius Tony. Um, it's going to take time to install all that stuff, yeah. and so certainly. I think Jones is going to get some reps with the first team anyway. There's some, you know, the fact that you don't burn his redshirt if you give him four games and that, how are you going to operate that within the framework of the season, not only for him, but for the other guys who are true freshmen, um, you know, those sorts of questions I think dictate, and turn, dictate who's going to get the snaps and when. You know, Clinton or not, jo- not Clinton Portis. Josh Portis was a good player, but he wasn't transcendent. So he didn't get a whole lot of snaps that first year with Chris Leak. Um, if you look at uh, Tim Tebow though, obviously they brought him as a true freshman and had him um, supplement what they were doing. And I think the same thing could probably apply to Emery Jones here.
1: Yeah, we'll now, And uh, to the, I think uh, the big part of, you know, Monday, uh, Mullen met with the media on on Monday and we're recording this on Tuesday night and a lot of fans are still talking about uh, you know there was a block of um, a block of the uh, media portion where Mullen had some things to say about the you know how to be uh, a big time quarterback and, and the timeline associated with that. So uh, I'll start with the quote: "I mean to be a, a big time quarterback. I don't think they even think they know how hard that is. They should understand it. They should understand it by hopefully next summer. I was hoping maybe with just one of them it would really click." But I didn't see that happen. But that doesn't shock me. I'm, it might not even be next summer. It might be the summer after that. A lot of guys, it takes two or three years of really working. They work one summer and realize, boy, I wasn't close. They work the next summer and they think they've really got it. And then it's they come out and they're like, I worked a lot harder. I thought I'd be ready. But I should be even further ahead than this. A lot of times as they get older, it really clicks. Well, so I think the, the big question was, and that came uh really from, you know, a uh, Twitter question from Amos Ganey. He asked us on Twitter, do you guys think this was Coach Speak by Mullen expressing his disappointment on where the quarterbacks are? I think he was being honest personally.
0: I think we better hope it's Coach Speak. So <laughs> so uh K Goodman at K Goodman uh nineteen eighty six sent me two tweets or two, two descriptions of something that Mullen had said. And he said, I don't think anybody clinched the job. I don't think anybody put themselves out of consideration for the job. And then you go to what he said, uh, you know, Mississippi state It's sorting itself out to this day, no one has jumped up and separated himself to be the good, to be, to be the guy. So, you know, in the past, he said very, very similar things when he had quarterback battles, of course, again, if we go back to that year, he started the he he didn't start Nick Fitzgerald against South Alabama, so maybe that maybe it is where it is. The problem with it is, is that Florida really needs at least good quarterback play um, in order to compete with some of the big boys in 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 conference and to compete with Florida State and compete with Alabama if they end up in that place. Um, I wrote an article maybe three four weeks ago talking about the quarterback play that could offset some of the recruiting uh, shortfalls that we're seeing and. And they're going to need good quarterback play. That's just that's just the long and short of it. You can't get by with a game manager and expect to compete for championships. You just can't. And so maybe you know the expectation is that the championships are going to come two or three years down the road when he's got his guy who's locked in, who's become a big-time elite player. If that's the case, that's fine. But uh, I don't know. I'm not, I, think, I think all of us would at least like to see good quarterback play over the next couple of years.
1: You know, I think for the most part it was it was honesty, and that's not really to say that's a problem right now. You know, we're only a few practices in the fall camp. The guys have only been through a spring. They're learning a completely new offense. It's going to take some time. You know, and I expect these issues in consistency right now, especially with the quarterbacks I saw on the roster right now. I, I do expect right now that consistency issue to to be there and i don't think franks and trash are going to be these transcendent players and emory jones is still a true freshman so uh, this is going to take some time but i also think this is partly a a, a motivational tactic and that it's not going to be easy and you're gonna have to put in the work to be a big time quarterback so i think there could be could have been some mixed messages here
0: yeah, I don't know. I think if your quarterbacks listening to the press, you got some issues. <laughs> I, I mean, that's the reality. Like if he's not hearing it in practice and he's not responding in practice, you got bigger issues than whatever the coach is saying in, in in the, you know, to the media. And we know that we know that some of the quarterbacks in the past have had rabbit ears and have heard some stuff, and that's that's fine, but that's not acceptable. You can't, you can't be um, you can't be conscious of that criticism because once you throw an interception, you got to be able to go out there and let it fly again. And, you know, I guess that could be maybe the only thing here is where he's trying to teach people not to listen to what's in the media. But, um, if you're listening to the media and you're not listening to your coach during practice, that's an issue. He should just be able to say, Hey, you know, this is like, you're going to have to work hard. And, and they take that at face value as opposed to having to say it to the media.
1: Well, you know what I love, uh, more than analyzing a game. <laughs> analyzing quotes
0: <laughs> 25 days Dave 25 days
1: <laughs> so that is part of it guys hey, girls that are listening you know this is, this is I mean, it's the off season still you know until we have some games to talk about this is kind of just how it's gonna go so um you know and, and twitter follower and listener tarpon 21 you know he brought up a really good point and you know this make this could make some fans feel better uh, about these quotes if they felt discouraged and he says as long as Mullen isn't too surprised by it, he did have Burrow and another quarterback available for transfer had he felt this way in the spring. So, you know, I, I can take this as Dan Mullen knew what he had coming out of spring ball, decided not to bring in another quarterback. So it can be said that he must have seen enough from the group to feel somewhat comfortable moving forward.
0: Sure. I mean, I, I think he he very forcefully said he wasn't going to go after graduate transfers when Burrow came available. Um, and, and so the fact that he didn't do that does imply that he had some comfort with who was in that room. Or he has supreme confidence in his ability to turn turn things around. You know, we talked in the Mississippi State preview, we talked a little bit about Moorhead's offense fitting the quarterbacks and that fits. and that if he wants to throw more with Fitzgerald, that's probably not the best course of action. I think the same thing applies when it comes to Florida, where running the quarterback has been the strength in a lot of Mullen's offenses, particularly his good ones. Is that really going to work for some of the quarterbacks he's got in the room? I think that's the question most people have is you know, he he's talked a lot about adjusting to what the quarterback does well. I think we're curious to see what does that actually mean for each of these quarterbacks.
1: Yeah, that, that is interesting. Yeah. It is we don't we don't know what they do well in this offense yet. So I think when game when game one comes around, as you said, you don't know how much they'll they'll unleash. Uh, of that, and maybe still against Kentucky as well. You know, yeah, that could be a close game. You know, it, it, they've played us tough um, in, in recent years, but you know, it, I don't think Mullen will un- unleash the beast unless he has to. So, you know, I, I don't know. I you know, I don't know when we'll find out when what these quarterbacks do well.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think they all have, we can all see their strengths and their weaknesses just by looking at the limited film that we have from some of them. And some of them we have a lot more than limited film to look at the strengths and weaknesses. Um, You know, at the end of the day, the hope is that Mullen is a much better quarterback coach than the guys who were here before. And that he'll make the correct decision in terms of who's the starter and push the right buttons in terms of motivation that if somebody needs to be pushed, that they'll be pushed. You know, I remember last summer coming out of camp, the, the real discussion was that the transfer of Malik Zaire had really sort of pushed Felipe Franks to a higher level and that he'd really started working harder at that point, or at least had really started to put things together, maybe is a better way of saying it, but that he was really looking good out of camp. And that's why he was named the starter. Now, I think we can look back on that and and wonder about whether that was just, whether that was just camp lies. And I think that's a lot of what we're trying to parse here too, is you never really know what the truth is. The, the practices aren't open to the public and you know, we're going to see day one when the guy trots out there to start the game and how quickly, the, how long the leash is and, and you know, whether the true freshman has passed the two redshirt sophomores and all that sort of stuff.
1: It's still talking season.
0: <laughs> hey man, it's fun. If we don't have anything to talk about, you know, if, if we, if we can't speculate on this stuff, then, uh, yeah. then we'd just be sitting here, whatever, talking no. about baseball or something. Nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> um well, and kind of expanding on more uh of what Dan Mullen had to say about these quarterbacks and right now uh they're more lead by example guys uh thinks that the vocal leadership can come once these guys start getting comfortable with what they're doing and it's kind of what we've been looting on they're, they're still trying to figure out what they do well so figuring out the reads making sure they're looking or, or stepping the right way at the right moment and that and Dan Mullen says that, that hurts their chances to work on on leadership right now and so you know, I, I think you can still be, you know, an off the field leader, you know, as we said, you know, going back to things Dan Mullen has said, you know, what, what quarterback is going to get the guys together during the offseason? What guy, what guy's going to work on their throws? What guy's going to dive into the playbook? And, and really you need know, that. That's forms of leadership as well. But, you know, these on the field things, you know, they're probably still float Their heads are still floating a little bit. And you know, that may have to wait and come later on in the season.
0: Yeah, but that plays into it, right? I mean, if, if you don't show an ability to improvise, if you don't show creativity, then if you're not fully versed in the offense, you're not going to be able to execute it well. Yeah. And so one of the things that they're probably looking for is sort of you know the, the quarterback's ability to problem solve and be creative when the play starts to break down or when there's an issue, you know, one of the things that's been, that's come up recently is some of the more off the field incidents. Well, that's a leadership component as well. And I do, I am curious to know who on the team and I mean, I haven't heard anything about this, but who on the team is stepping into that leadership role to either make sure that doesn't happen or to address it or, or whatever the case might be. So um, yeah, I mean the quarterbacks, there's been some discussion that Franks is always at the front of the line. That's Mm -hmm. great. Um, you know, but, but again, if, if you're not well-versed in the offense, it doesn't matter how much you're respected by your teammates. If when the play breaks down, you can't solve the problem and you can't be creative to get out of the mess. You know, I don't think Johnny Manziel spent a whole lot of time in the film room when he was at Texas A&M, <laughs> he could just run around and make a play. Yeah. And in some capacity, if you got a guy who can run around and make a play, it doesn't matter how much time he's putting into it.
1: Yeah. Good point. Uh, and then, you know, part of the leadership and that's, uh, that's going to transition us into, uh. Of course, early in fall camp, the big talk really has been Kyle Trask. Maybe you know surpassing Felipe Franks uh, right now. It's still early. We'll see where it goes. But from what we've been told and what we've been heard and what we've seen so far uh, at camp, you know Kyle Trask. Uh, you know besides today, they had a practice today, and apparently he didn't look as, as good as he has early in camp. But you know so far, uh, before the 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 pat before the pads have come on, uh, Kyle Trask does look. Uh, you know, sharp, uh, accurate uh, at the quarterback position. And, you know, that think that's you when know, going back to the leadership part, it's just that's the part that still worries me uh, about Kyle Trask, you know, not having a lot of playing experience uh, in high school and, and being the backup there. Uh, so now, you know, there, there is, a, is a camp where. It's hard to see a, a two-star quarterback that, that didn't start in high school as some unearthed gym that, that Jim McElwain and Doug Nussmeyer found. You know, I still genuinely feel that if that staff was still here, that Trask and Felipe Franks wouldn't have progressed to a point where either one was getting it done. So the, the one aspect that does give me hope for a player like Trask is, is Mullen's development of, of quarterbacks, and especially ones that aren't highly rated. You had Chris Wealth, you had Prescott, Fitzgerald. Uh, now, one of those became great, and, and and the other ones fit well into Mullen's system uh, and made a serviceable attack. But how much can Mullen get out of Trask? You know, Prescott and Fitzgerald were lower-rated quarterbacks, but those are lower-rated quarterbacks he recruited. That's you know, He saw something in that's not the deal with Trask. And you know, he's walking into this situation. So, you know, and, and how much of it is fans really think Trask can be a good quarterback, or is it more that they've just seen enough from Felipe Franks? They don't think Franks can get it done and they just want something different.
0: Yeah. I think it's, I think it's an amalgam of a bunch of different things. I think, Part of it is the frustration of watching really poor quarterback play since Tim Tebow left. I mean, there would be a lot more patience for Felipe Franks and last year's performance if it hadn't been if it hadn't been coming on the heels of the Treon Harris experiment, the Will Greer suspension, the John Brantley, you know, injuries, the Jeff Driscoll sort of, you know, falling apart in his last year there in Gainesville. You know, all that sort of stuff leads into the, just the the tension around not having a quarterback i mean it's the university of florida it's a top flight program you should always have three quarterbacks who are fantastic just sitting in the wings and that's how it was when spurrier was around and quite honestly that's how it was when urban meyer was around at least until cam newton threw the laptop out the window so you know the the expectation is you're going to have a quarterback that the offense is going to score a bunch of points that's going to be fun it hasn't been that way for a decade and so you start looking at that and saying okay we can't have patience with this guy let's try let's try the second one i mean the most popular kind of team is always the backup quarterback at least for the fans and and i think that's just sort of the case here i think we saw a lot during the spring game this year that indicated that trask is a little bit faster in terms of his pace and i think that's the other thing is that even even when Florida was winning games last year the offense was boring and so that is not something that it was under Urban Meyer that's not something it was under Steve Spurrier it's not even something it was under under Ron Zook it didn't get boring until when Will Muschamp came and even then at least the defense was elite and then last year that just wasn't the case on either side of the ball so i you know i i think that you know, and, and I wrote, I've, I've written about looking at the film for Franks. I've written about looking at the film for Trask. You can make cases for either guy. I don't think you can definitively say, based on what we've seen thus far, um, you know, that that you should choose one or the other. So I think really it does boil down to what these guys see in camp, and and where they differentiate themselves, and then whether they can differentiate themselves far enough from Emory Jones to make it worthwhile to start one of those guys. Because I do think the running ability of Emory Jones adds something, adds a dimension, adds a dimension that typically has been very effective in Mullins' offenses. And so you know I've ri- I've also written that I think you should start Emory Jones if it's even remotely close, <laughs> yeah. and, and that's still where I would go.
1: Well, is there anything to the, the point I brought up where, you know, uh, well, I did want to get your take on this, uh, of Mullen coming in, and yes, we've seen the lower-rated quarterbacks he's had success with, but those are the guys he recruited versus a lower-rated recruit that he didn't recruit necessarily and trying to work something out of him.
0: Yeah, I think so. I I think maybe it's a test of Mullen's creativity. I think that's one of the things that when you look at his offense, you see some creativity and you hope that that's kind of where um, the difference between him and Nussmeier will really shine through is that you know when Nussmeier had a quarterback who didn't do anything well or who didn't do something well, he just kept calling the same play and said, well, execute it better. I mean, in fact, that's one of the things that that McIlwain said after one of the games is that we just didn't execute well enough. The plays were fine. It's like, well, that's kind of your job is to make sure that you're calling plays that the offense can execute. You know, and, and they didn't do that. And, and Mullen has shown more creativity in the past. You know, we talked a little bit, maybe a couple of months ago, about potentially seeing Trask as like Oklahoma's version of the belldozer, mm-hmm. um, You know, when they had Blake Bell and having him down in the red zone to run and things like that. You know, again, can you get creative with these guys? You know, Felipe Franks has a stronger arm than any of the guys that are out there, but he's less accurate. Trask is more accurate, but doesn't have the experience that you would probably like, and maybe not some of the leadership skills. Emory Jones, the red sh- or is a true freshman, you know, he's going to have some of the running skills, but is he necessarily going to be able to read a defense? Is there any reason why you can't do something creative with each of those guys and have a package for each of those guys, just like you would for wide receivers. You know, you got five wide receivers. You can go five wide, four wide, three wide. You can have two tight ends. You can do all sorts of different stuff with your formations. Is, you know, is he creative enough to do that with his quarterbacks? I don't know. Now, you obviously wouldn't like that because he would have guys taking first team reps the whole way through the (laughs) camp doing that. And, And I do think there's something to having one guy at quarterback. And the old adage that if you've got three, if you've got two guys at quarterback, you've really got none. But you know, the reason that's an adage is because when you're playing two quarterbacks, you've really got none. like you haven't been able to make the decision. So I, I, I think um, I, I think the development piece is a little bit overrated, just from the standpoint of Mullen saw something in Prescott and he saw something in Fitzgerald that he said, he's going to fit my offense. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think maybe you sit there and say, well, did he really develop the guy, or did he just identify? skills that fit within his offense and that's where i'd be a little bit concerned because these aren't guys he's identified with skills that fit his offense except for emory jones
1: yeah yeah good point point. and to that point uh as far as i did mention contrast having trouble throwing the ball at the last um um uh, uh scrimmage but in the open portion there uh the Gators did this drill where they had i believe three offensive linemen three defensive linemen and somebody carrying the ball and apparently Kyle Trask did pretty well in, the, in that drill w- w- where he, uh, he could make about, you know, he could get past the defenders. He could carry the ball, uh, much like we know a Dan Mullen quarterback has to do, and get something out of it.
0: Yeah, I'll be honest. I'm not sure any of this matters until there's a real pass rush. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't played a game since middle school. <laughs> that counted where the team wasn't up by 50 points I, you know until you get a helmet in the back you just don't know and i mean it's the same thing with franks i mean franks could look great in practice no one's going to trust him until he goes out in the or no fan is going to trust him until he goes out in the game and executes with a pass rush in his face because we saw how he acted last year when there was a pass, r- pass rush in his face and you know again was that a breakdown in him was that a breakdown in the offensive line i think there were breakdowns all over the place um last year and so it doesn't all fall on franks but you know, we're not going to know till the bullets start flying. Same thing with all these guys. And so we can parse the scrimmages and obviously that's something we're going to talk about, but I mean, until those guys are live, I don't know that makes a difference. Yeah, yep. Nope. There we go.
1: So pretty much uh, all the quarterback talk there. Will anything else from quarterback or what Mullen said in the last couple of days? Oh uh, no,
0: man. I like, like I said, I just hope he, I hope he, uh, I hope he's wrong in terms of it taking two or three years to develop a good <laughs> quarterback. That's all I, that's all I can say.
1: All right, then moving on to the uh, other part of uh, fall camp that's kind of been at the forefront uh, so far is the special teams. And, Will, I know you were you harped on this a lot uh, right after Dan Mullen was hired of of having a coach that we know would invest uh, in in special teams and make a difference there. So a quote from Mullen, we're going to invest a lot of time on special teams. We're going to make sure everyone in the program is invested in special teams. Every player understands the importance of it. And that's a phase we want to try to be really strong at is our special team Phases. And uh, they really focus on the, the fundamentals uh, of special teams in practice. And, you know, he, once again, invest a lot of time in special teams. And you can see that, you know, there should be that should be music to, to Florida fans ears. You know, there are pump block drills, kickoff blocking drills to start practices. You have starters and, and the best athletes on the team being involved in special teams. And, you know, go back to Urban Meyer days, you know, it was a badge of honor to, 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 to play on the uh, on the special teams.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I mean, if if you look back, um, you know, just if you look at kickoff returns, I mean, I, I went back to two thousand nine and looked at looked at kickoff returns, and you know, you you look at the guy who had the most kickoff returns every year in twenty in two thousand nine, it was Brandon James, he averaged twenty six yards, twenty six point one yards per return. Debose averaged twenty eight in two thousand ten. 26.1 in 2011, 28.3 in 2012. So under Urban Meyer and in those and in that Will Muschamp era at the beginning, at least the special teams were really starting to play a role. You look at, but in 20 in 2015, Brandon Powell was the leading returner, 21.3. So five or six yards less per kickoff return than they were getting previously, and that makes a difference. Same thing in 2016, it was 21.8 in 2017. Adarius Lemons at 22.5. You know, that just really starts to make a difference over the long haul. Five or six yards cost you points. And over, you know, they lost a couple of games last year by one or two points where if they'd been able to if they'd been able to pop one one kickoff return or one punt return, all of a sudden it's a completely different game. And they just didn't do that. And part of it was they didn't have at least it didn't feel like they always had their best guys back on the returns. Um, you know, I think Kadarius Tony has been back there catching catching punts and catching kickoffs this year. Certainly, Lemons is probably going to be back there, and and some other guys who are highly skilled guys. And that was the thing you always saw with Myers' teams is he always had the starters out there on special teams. The block punts were coming from you know Janoris Jenkins. It wasn't coming from a third string, yeah. from a third string DB. <laughs> Chris Rainey and, up there, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, part of the reason that they're successful is because they're good players, but this is where the math nerd in me really gets excited because you can start looking at field position. There there, there are actually sources out there where you can look at expected points versus field position. Mm-hmm. And so if you start at your own 20, you bear, you know, you, you ex, the expected points are like 0.3. If you get out to the 30, the expected points go up to one. If you get out to the 50, the expected points go up to two. So you if, if you can get a guy who brings the ball out to the 40 every time you you know let's say you get four kickoffs in a game you've just put four points on your ledger just by being able to get that extra 10 yards uh, or the extra 20 yards I think that's a that's a huge difference it's hidden yardage that your offense doesn't have to get it takes the pressure off of the offense you get some field goals you maybe wouldn't have gotten otherwise because when your drive stalls it stalls at the opponent's 25 rather than the opponent's 35 it makes a difference over over an entire season. And it's not something that's been emphasized thus far.
1: Yeah, you know, you probably you know, besides you know, past the Urban Meyer time, you, you can't really have to go back to really Antonio Callaway. Besides, when the last time you know a starter was a consistent threat on special teams.
0: Yeah, well, and even that, I mean, he had a really good year as freshman year, and then yeah. the sophomore year really took a step back. Um, you know, and was was catching punts inside the five and <laughs> and all sorts of stuff. Um, it, you know, so inconsistency, and I think that's. You know, we talked about this with the quarterbacks in terms of their need to be consistent. I think the same thing applies to special teams; they need to be consistent. Like, I, I think an ex a good expectation or a fair expectation for Florida this year is not to have an elite offense or an elite defense. I think a fair expectation is that they have a consistent offense and a consistent defense. And last year on defense, you know, that game against Texas A&M was a great example where the defense played really, really well, except for about five plays where they got gashed for 40 yards on each of them. And, you know, you sit there and go, how did they complete five passes and score 19 points? Like, how did that happen? And they didn't, and they only ran for like 80 yards or something. It's like, How did they score at all? And it's because they had those big plays that, that, that push things down the field. And, and so that lack of consistency on the defense is what costs the team. Same thing on offense, right? You get the third down and one, you can't get the push and you got a punt rather than being able to convert that into a first down and move it down the field. Or you've got a guy open on third down and you air mail him. And so now you, now all of a sudden you got a punt. So I think really special teams is the same thing. I think putting an emphasis on it, I think, um, you know, it's not necessarily just going to show up in punt blocks. You know, they, they may not have seven more punt blocks this year than they had last year, but they will have punters who shank it because they know they might come after it. They'll have punters who try to get it out quicker. And so have lower net yardage again, every five yards makes a difference. And and so to be able to pick that up is going to be important this year because they're not going to just be able to out talent everybody.
1: And Bill Sykes, our uh, contributor here and, you know, on Gators breakdown, uh, every now and then. And, uh, First of all, he had a tweet before we started the show. He says, "Have a good show, Tay Bang." So, way to go, Bill. Uh, <laughs> but uh, his uh, tweet about special teams that uh, you know I told you I was going to share here on the podcast is: uh, over the past five seasons, Florida special teams have blocked an average of 1.2 kicks and punts combined annually. So, 1.2 kicks and punts during that same period. Dan Mullen's special teams at Mississippi State blocked 4.2 a year. So, you know that's a that's a you know, a difference of three there of, you know, block kicks and, and punts. And, hey, look, if you're in a close SEC game, you know, these little plays will, as you as you're it could be the difference in, in wins or losses, especially with an offense that still may be trying to find its way throughout the season. You know, As you mentioned, get better field position, it's easier to score or get points off of a punt return or a punt block. And you, you don't have to score as many points on offense. You know, all this stuff works together.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, if you think about it, we were talking about our favorite moments on a, on a podcast a couple of weeks ago, and one of the things that we that got brought up in the conversation was the fake punt against Arkansas in the SEC championship game. That's a special team's play. It completely flipped the game. And so, you know, does Florida still win that game without calling a fake punt in its own territory? Maybe. I mean, they were the more talented team. Maybe they still win it. But the fact that, the fact that Urban Meyer had that in his pocket, had the confidence to be able to call it, the confidence that his team would execute it, you know, those sorts of things are things that, uh, that you know, as of right now, Florida just hasn't been able to do in a while. And, and you know, Virginia Tech completely, completely resurrected their program around Beamer ball, where they were just out special teaming and defensing everyone because the offense in Blacksburg has never been fantastic. Even with Michael Vick there, it required a pretty strong defense to, to get them to the national championship game. And, and so you can build programs like that. And so one of the ways to overcome a talent differential is to start making plays on special teams. And, and you know, the tur- the team that wins the turnover battle almost always wins the game um, in, in most in most games where the teams are relatively closely matched. And a block kick, a block punt, I mean, those are those are turnover, essentially. And so, yeah, it makes a huge difference. I'm glad to see he's emphasizing it.
1: Yeah, it'll be a welcome change um, there in the Swamp. Uh, when uh, special teams and and you know and that's that's a fun part of the game too. The plays like that are fun, <laughs> you know. It'd be as part of, uh, of bringing the fun um, uh, back to the swamp. So weird, a will kind of a, a weird transition into you know talking about fun there. But you know uh, it, we can't uh, go out without discussing uh, what's going on at Ohio State and Urban Meyer. And you wrote a, a pretty powerful article, uh, released it last week, uh, not too long after uh, the news broke about the uh, domestic violence and everything surrounding uh, Urban Meyer. And your article was tired. Urban Meyer is a symptom of the real problem of domestic violence. As I said, you released that last week on your site, readingreaction.com. You know, kind, of, kind of walk our listeners through that and you know, why it's such a, pow- a powerful topic for you.
0: Yeah, man, I mean it- – it's been interesting to see sort of the the reaction to the Urban Meyer situation. I mean, I get it. Florida fans are sort of burned by the way he left Gainesville. Have enjoyed the cold Papa Johns after losing in the tunnel, like all those sorts of things. But you know, ten million people in the U.S. annually are. Are subjected to to domestic violence, at least according to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. This isn't a football problem. This isn't a male problem. This isn't a female problem. It's it's a human problem. And so, you know, all of a sudden, after Urban Meyer got in trouble, one of the things people were asking was, well, you know, who are we going to target on the recruiting trail? Who who what are who are his top recruits that we can go poach? And at the end of the day, I, <laughs> it seemed a bit. Um, I mean one it's like you want to make sure that justice is served and and you know I don't know the details of what went on with Urban Meyer I don't know whether he reported what he was supposed to report I don't know whether Ohio State followed up the way they were supposed to what I do know is that there was a woman who who you know was allegedly abused who felt like her only avenue to stop the abuse was to go to a reporter because the abuser was tied to someone powerful enough that it would become a story and, and that's just sad from the standpoint of that's basically the only way you can stop it because we don't have enough people stepping in in situations where they need someone to step in and we don't have enough resources from a police perspective or from a societal pr- perspective to protect someone who needs that sort of protection. So, you know, I mean, really the article is sort of trying to encourage people to to get involved to find a domestic violence shelter to support um, if it's something that they feel strongly about. Um, Certainly, you know, Florida has been touched by that this year because you had Justin Watkins with his incident. And as the details come out about that, again, all alleged, nothing's been proven. But as the details come out, it's really pretty sickening. And you look at Ohio State, Urban Meyer had a big sign on the wall. that said, treat women with respect in capital letters. uh, You know, I don't know, a sign on the wall doesn't do anybody any good. At the end of the day, you can know something, but if you don't actually do anything about it, it doesn't make a difference. And so hopefully the article will encourage people to do something about it, to think about things a little bit differently. And there's there's a... There's a knee-jerk reaction, I think, to say, hey, this person did something wrong and abused someone and needs to be laid off, they needs to be fired. But one of the problems is, is that spouses or or people who rely on the person who's who's got that job to, to pay for things, to support them, don't report the abuse because the reaction is you have to get that person off the staff. And I just don't know whether that's the right way to 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 do this stuff. I mean, is there a way... In, in the middle ground where you can report it, you can get someone help, you can get someone counseling, and it doesn't necessarily cost them their job just because, oh, they're you know, Because that causes a problem, too. I mean, if Zach Smith loses his job because he's accused of abuse, that affects the person who's being abused as well. And and so we need to be able to ask those questions without just saying, oh, we fired that person, we got rid of the problem, and now we don't have to deal with it at our university anymore. The problem still exists. It just wouldn't have existed at Ohio State if they had gotten rid of him, or at Florida, if they got rid of him during the first incident in 2009 or the second one in 2015.
1: Yeah, well, so that was uh... – I like the way you approached that, you know, really good article there. So definitely if people didn't go and and read uh, Will's work there at readreaction.com about that, that uh, there, I wouldn't necessarily call soapbox moment, Will, but, uh, you know, your, 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 uh, your opinion was heard. And I think very, very, very well received.
0: Uh, You know, I mean, I had some people who had been abused who reached out and said that it was nice to hear that perspective. And I mean, it's the most rewarding thing I've ever gotten from something that I've written is to have someone who would reach out and say that. And so, you know, thank you to the people who've reached out. Thank you to the people who've read it. Thank you to the people who've shared it. Um, Hopefully it makes a difference in the productive dialogue. It's not meant to be a, you need to do better. It's meant to be a, Hey, the statistics say that just getting rid of somebody doesn't actually solve the problem. Can we talk about how to solve the problem?
1: All right, and uh, on a lighter note, we'll read reaction. We'll keep it there at your site, and a shout-out to Devin Connell uh, for you. You got some uh, work going on there with with some previews for uh, positions.
0: Yeah, Devin's doing some position previews. He started out with the running backs, did a really good job, Um, and I'm excited to see what he's going to come up with with some of the other positions as well. Um, Certainly – you know, so he's he's he compared the running backs. I the most interesting part of the article to me was comparing the running backs to the SEC East, the other sort of the talent levels and the production of the other teams in the SEC East, and then to Florida's main rivals. So you look at Florida State, you look at Alabama teams like that, and and comparing where Florida is sort of in the uh, in the talent spectrum there. And it was a little bit surprising to me because there's been an awful lot of talk about the running back room being really really strong within Florida's uh, you know, within that it's the, the strength of Florida's team. But even when you compare those guys to to some of the guys that some of these large or some of the more powerful um, or at least higher ranked teams in the preseason coming in, um, you know, Florida's got some work to do if they're going to, if they're going to be able to tout the running backs as, as all American candidates.
1: Yeah. Speak, speaking of all American candidates and uh, the first name, a lot of people go to now, I think is a valid question is just how good Jordan Scarlett can be. Uh, he is, Coming off the a, a year off, uh, you know, I'm still not so sure football was uh, uh, really important to him until after what he went through last year. It was, I, I, I say, kind of a wake up call, and I think, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, you've seen some weight gains uh, in the weight room. Uh, we heard throughout spring practice how big of a weapon he was, how hard he was to tackle, how hard he was to bring down. You know, I, I really hope that, you know, he can be the guy, you know, because I, I remember I, I was writing for another site back in, um, you know, when, when he was recruited and, you know, I compared him to, to Trent Richardson back, you know, because being under Jim McElwain and, and and just kind of the build he had and you know, going through and looking at his high school, the um, stats and, and his high school film of how he could be used, you know, catching the ball out of the backfield and, and his speed of, you know, maybe he could be that Trent Richardson type for Jim McElwain. And we just haven't seen that. And, you know, I, I really hope you know, going back and looking at it and seeing you know, kind of the, the hype that I, I put on him myself. That I hope he can you know eventually live live up to that. You know, because I really like what I saw from from Malik Davis last year, that that home run threat, his yards per carry. You know, being a a guy that could you know j- just change a game on a whim. You know, I, I'm still thinking Jordan Scott is that type of running back who can go get you three yards, four yards whenever you need it. I still want to see that breakaway speed where he can get some bigger runs.
0: Yeah, well, he's going to have to be because cause I, I think, you know, as much as we talk about the quarterbacks and as much as we expect to see progress, I think we do sort of agree with Mullen that it's going to take a year or two before he identifies the guy and gets the guy who's fantastic. Obviously, it would be great if that quarterback steps in and, and is a lead immediately, but it's probably not going to happen, at least not in the first half of this year. And if you go back and look at Mullen's track record, he's, he's had really, when he's had sort of substandard quarterbacking, Um, or at least when he's had defenses have been able to hold their own, he's been able to run the ball a lot more, and running the ball a lot more has offset some of the substandard quarterbacking so his second year at Mississippi State I think they went nine and four he was over 600 carries for the year um, for for his offense and then if you look at two years ago with Mississippi State they were over 600 carries they fell down to about 520 somewhere in that range last year and 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 weren't quite as successful so um, you know that 600 carries I think is sort of a, a key threshold to look for that's a lot of carries but it means the defense has kept you in the game it means the defense has kept the games close you've been able to continue to run the ball I mean obviously if you fall behind 28 to nothing. You can't run the ball that much. And so you're not going to hit that hit that mark. And so um, I I think Scarlett's going to be a huge part of that. I think, you know, obviously coming out of high school, he was, he was very highly touted, high level four-star guy. Um, You know, and then you got to look at the offense that he was playing in. I mean, You know the offense in general was pretty broken while Nussmeyer was here, and so he only averaged five yards a carry in in the time that he's had thus far. But you know, again, is that the offense? Is that the lack of quarterback play? Is it a lack of ability on his part? I mean, it's probably in some capacity. You know, you talked about attention and making football a priority. It's probably some of that. It's probably also some of who the quarterback was. It's probably also some of the offense and the offensive line. And this is where I think Hevesy really has to make a difference as a coach. Is if that offensive line can can get a yard or two push, well, all of a sudden, now you can get that running start. And, you know, four and five yards turns into 15, 15 turns into 25, and that sort of stuff. So, you know, Scarlett has some ability. We saw it against LSU. We saw it against... uh you know, we've seen it in a few different places. Same thing with Malik Davis. I think they're different runners, which I think bodes well for, for their usage throughout the season. It's not like you just pull out Scarlett and put in Davis and you get the exact same runner. They're going to be very, very different. Looks like Damian Pierce is even bigger, and he, he's a guy you really liked out of high school. And so... You know, I, I don't. I don't think they're hurting for depth. I think they can probably sustain an yeah. injury or two. The question will be, do they have the top tier guy who can go get them the yard or two when they need it, when everyone knows somebody's, when everybody knows he's being run. And I think we all hope that's going to be Scarlet, uh, and it'll be up to him to prove us right.
1: right. Will, and let's go back to last week before we wrap up here on Gators Breakdown. Hey, the Gators got their highest ranked commit uh, last week in one Black from the state of Mississippi, nationally ranked fifty third player. Uh, inside linebacker, he's ranked third there. Uh, the fourth-ranked player in the state of Mississippi, uh, big-time pickup for the Gators here. be uh, pretty much an athlete. He can play all over the field, uh, so it'd be interested to see how Dan Mullen uses him. But on the 24 Sports composite, a ranking of 97.19 there, so 97.19. You know, really a, a highly-rated recruit that Florida brought in here. And look, you can go follow him on Twitter. Look, he, he's Probably, you know, he's a big time recruiter for the Gators too. Says there's some more commits on the way, and uh, he's after some uh, some other recruits out there on social media.
0: Yeah, it's a big deal. I mean, whenever you can bring in a top 100 guy, it's a big deal. But particularly when you can bring in a top 100 guy at linebacker, which is a space where Florida has really struggled to bring in elite guys. Um, they, you know, they brought in David Reese, a four-star last year. Um, but before that, it had been pretty. It had been a bunch of three stars in the Randy Shannon and Jim McElwain era. And that doesn't mean those guys aren't good players. I mean, the first David Reese is very, as a very, very good player at middle linebacker. I'm expecting him to play a big role in the defense this year. But I mean there's a difference between a guy who's a borderline four slash five-star guy, top 50 player, and, and a guy who's rated three hundred and fiftieth. there just is in terms of athletic ability, in terms of ceiling. And I think that that's a, that's a big deal. Um, It also indicates that Friday night lights had some success that he was able to, that he was able to sell his vision to some people on Friday night lights. Certainly we hope we'll see some more fruit from that as, uh, as the summer wears on and maybe into the season. And, you know, we'll see. I mean, it's a fantastic pickup. It's fantastic for a lot of different reasons. Um, you know, top one hundred guy, um, inside linebacker, all those sorts of things are important. But uh, you know, hopefully, it's it sort of starts a cascade and we start seeing the blue chips fall.
1: Yeah, well, and, and just kind of going back and watching, you know, he might could be used all over the field. You know, he's going to be recruited as an inside linebacker because that's kind of where he's transitioning to now. But you know, six three. Uh, And a half, 219 pounds. But you go back to his stats last year. He was all over the field. 16 passes for 304 yards, four touchdowns on the ground. Uh, Had 60 more yards on just six carries. So you know, 10 yards a carry there uh, as a playmaker on that side of the ball. On, On defense, 83 tackles, three interceptions, two sacks. You know, he's versatile playmaker.
0: Yeah, well and all the reports out of Friday night lights were that he was he was one of the stars, right? Is that he he was one of the guys who was really showing some athletic ability, really sort of popped when he was on the field and uh you know yeah, I mean that, those those statistics sort of back that up. I mean, a, again, I think you bring in high high level guys, you're you're going to be pleased and so, some guys pan out, some guys don't, which is why you want to bring in more of them. But the closer you get to that top tier, the more often they pan out and you know, all indications are this guy's going to be a good one.
1: All right, Will. Anything else before we sign off on this one?
0: Nah, I'm just happy to see he's recruiting too. He's he's yeah, going, he's right. going pretty hard after some other people talking about some of the commits that will be coming, and and hopefully he knows something that some of us don't, and uh, you know, and and we'll see those dominoes fall. But uh, you know, glad to have him as a Gator.
1: All right, uh, good episode, Will. Man, we 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 knocked our uh, first episode of fall camp out of the park.
0: Hey man, like I said, twenty five days. I am I'm <laughs> chopping at the bit. My uh, my wife is probably counting down and, and and in dread just because of the amount of time I'll be spending in front of the television on Saturdays. But uh, but it'll be cold here soon enough, so we won't go outside anyway. So. Oh,
1: there we go. All, Silver right. Lightings. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right,
1: guys, uh, go out there. Like I said, newsforjacks slash Gators Breakdown. That's where you can get the latest episodes of Gators Breakdown and check out all those opponent previews that we have coming out in the next few weeks. Uh, like I said, uh, Mississippi State earlier this week, LSU later this week, uh, you know, two of the bigger opponents on the on the Florida schedule there. Uh, you can find Will Miles on Twitter at Will Miles and his work again at readandreaction.com. I'm your host of Gator's Breakdown, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at Gator underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gator's Breakdown.